Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keithley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. Here's the riveting message for May 14th. Discovering your kingdom purpose, a feast for your spirit. Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you with me once again here on the Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. Uh, we're going to talk about the kingdom this morning. Now, I know that many of you probably think you have a really good handle on the kingdom and what the kingdom is all about, but I want you to stay with me this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to say some things that you probably are very familiar with, but if you'll give me a little bit of time, I'm going to unwind some things about the kingdom that maybe you've never heard before. It might shake you up a little bit. Might present some perspective that you have not considered, but will enable you to get a better focus on the kingdom of God, how it relates to you, and how we are to promote the kingdom in the earth that we live in today. So just, just hold in there. I'm laying some foundation to begin with, and then I'm going to move into a couple of things that will expand your consciousness and help you get a better handle on what the kingdom is all about and how you are a participant in it. The kingdom is of no value if you don't understand that you're part of the kingdom and that you have been assigned by the Father, part of the puzzle of unraveling the kingdom for the culture that we live in. So let me begin this morning over in Matthew chapter 4, and let me just lay a little foundation. Then once I get the foundation laid, you know, if you when you bring revelation without foundation, it brings condemnation. Have you found that with your friends? You 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 begin to talk to them about some of the revelation that you have, but they have no foundation to receive it, and as a result, they reject it and even condemn you. So I learned a long time ago that if you're going to bring revelation, you have to lay a good foundation so that people have something to build on and take them step by step. So I'm going to take you step by step through some things about the kingdom. Then I'm going to shock you at about. Uh, 25 minutes into the teaching. Fair enough? All right, let's begin over in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee. Now, this is what Jesus did. This, this encompasses the ministry of Jesus. Jesus went all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and number three, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So there's three things that Jesus did as his ministry. He was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. Now I'm going to draw a distinction here, and then I'm going to come back later, and I'm going to, I'm going to expand on that. But I want you to notice that his teaching in the synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom are separated. When he went to church on Saturday, he didn't preach the gospel of the kingdom. He taught in the synagogues. But the gospel of the kingdom was not where Jesus felt that he needed to really plant in the synagogue. Now, there's a reason I think that he separated the two, and that's where some of the things we're going to get into this morning, because we've looked at the church as being the instrument of the kingdom, and it's absolutely not. So we're going to, we're going to get into that, okay? And this, this is where it's, you're going to be able to begin to feel, okay, I'm, a, I'm an important part of this kingdom expansion. But I think it's fair to say that during the earthly ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God was by far the hottest topic that he taught on. Everywhere that he went, he was teaching the gospel of the kingdom. He came to establish the kingdom. He came to uh, release the kingdom. And most importantly, he came to live the kingdom. 
and bring it into existence on this planet as it is in heaven. Now, if I were to define the kingdom of God, probably the most simplistic definition of the kingdom that I can give to you is this. The kingdom of God is simply the reign and the rule of God on the planet, on this planet. It's the rule and the reign. Wherever he rules and reigns, the kingdom has come. Kingdom first comes into your life. You can't very well extend the kingdom into the city if it's not in your life. You can't extend it into your family. You can't extend it in your neighborhood. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God, and it first begins to manifest within your life. Not only did he he preach and teach and establish it, he also told us that it was extremely important. Matthew chapter 24. This is way toward the back of the book now. Matthew chapter 24. And he said some things here that I think we've misunderstood, and I'm going to clear it up for you today. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, what we've done in, in, in our day is we've tried to pull that verse out and make it applicable to today, and it does have some relevance. But that's not what Jesus was making reference to. He's saying that this gospel of the kingdom would be preached in all the world as a witness. Now, a witness of the kingdom is one that in whom it is practically working out. Right? It's demonstrated. It's in full functioning force. You can see it. You can see the operation. And Jesus said that this gospel would be preached as a witness, as a practical application, as a full working out manifestation in all the nations of the world, and then the end would come. Actually, he did not say world. He just said to all the nations, and then the end will come. All right, this was accomplished. Jesus was pointing to 70 AD and the destruction of the temple. And what he was pointing out is before that time comes, this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in every nation. Now, was it, was it preached in every nation between the time that Jesus spoke this and the time the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and with it, the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament? That is when the Old Covenant came to a screeching halt. Objectively, it was finished at the cross, established at the resurrection, but in practical application, they were still sacrificing animals after the, after the resurrection. Jesus was pointing them to a time that the end would come to all of that. And he said what would signal it is when, all, when the gospel of the kingdom was preached in all the nations. Now, Paul, in Romans chapter 16, seems to attest to the fact that indeed the gospel was preached in all the nations. And he says this, in uh, Romans chapter 16, let me just get back here real quick. This is, this is good. This is brings some understanding, some clarity here. Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Let me, just, let me just pick up verse 26. But he said, is not made manifest, and by the perfect, prophetic scriptures made known to all the nations according to the commandment, of the everlasting God. I probably should read 25 with it. Let me give it some context. Now to him who is able to establish you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, which was the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, 
according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. Now, if, you, if you're going to read that through the eyes of someone living in 2023, you're going to take that to mean that he even went to North America, went to the Indians, went to South America. Uh, what Paul is saying is that every nation they knew had received the gospel. Every, every nation they went into had received the gospel. So Romans was written sometime around 57, 58 A.D., so it was a well, it was 25 years before the destruction of the temple and the demolishing of all animal sacrifice or the end. Jesus was pointing to the end in 70 AD. Paul confirms it in 57, 58 AD that indeed this gospel had gone into all the nations. Now, here's, here's the part that applies to us today. What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 does not apply to us today, although the gospel of the kingdom in all nations does have application. Here's the application. Only the gospel of the kingdom is powerful enough to restore the rule and the reign of God, the rule and the reign of Jesus in our culture, regardless of culture. Only the gospel of the kingdom is powerful enough, regardless of false religions, to establish the kingdom on the planet, in, in every nation, on, now we know all the nations of the entire globe. So it's our job now to begin in our culture to carry this gospel of the kingdom into our world, into our nation, all right? Regardless of any obstacle of any truth, the gospel of the kingdom is powerful enough to establish the rule and the reign of God through Jesus on the planet. The scripture tells us what this gospel of the kingdom encompasses. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says that the gospel of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Jesus said that the earth would be filled with believers, filled with people that understood righteousness, peace, and joy. They would be the instruments through which the extension, listen, through which the extension of the kingdom would come through lifestyle demonstration, and through priorities, us learning to eat from the tree of life, not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, into every sphere and every activity in our world, and it would come by influence. It does not come by force. The difference between a theocracy and the kingdom of God, a theocracy is a dominion of God's government. And it comes by force. It comes by domination. It, uh, like during the Crusades, that was an extension of God's kingdom. And if you didn't agree with it, you were killed. That's not how the kingdom of God operates that Jesus brought us understanding of. The kingdom of God comes by influence. And as you influence it by your priorities, your lifestyle, and your understanding of righteousness, peace, and joy, see, <clears throat> What he's saying is wherever you see unrighteousness, what, what, what Romans 4.17 is getting at is wherever you see unrighteousness, wherever you see darkness, wherever you see depression, wherever you see those things that are contrary to the kingdom, that we bring the revelation of righteousness, peace, and joy into that atmosphere. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness relates to right identity. 
Actually, technically, the word righteousness means right standing before God, right? <clears throat> but for you to have a right standing and a grasp of it, a grasp of right standing before God, you have to understand what the word righteousness means. It, it, it takes in several things. To stand right before God. I mean, from God's perspective, you're right. But for us to have the confidence to stand before him, we got to know who we are, right? Right identity. It's knowing sonship. It's understanding that you are in full union with the Father, that there's absolutely no separation. And once that is established in the life of a believer, when we understand identity and sonship and, and, and everything that's encompassed within righteousness, then the flow that comes out of us to other people is peace and joy. This world's looking for peace. This world's looking for joy, and it can only flow through those. Listen, it can only flow through those who understand they are righteous. They're in right standing. Their sonship is full. They're in union with the Father. No separation. That you can stand and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You're taking the place of Jesus on the planet. That's what Jesus came to instill within his people, his followers, the gospel of the kingdom that would enable them to know right standing, sonship, union, uh, everything that's involved in this, this one little word of righteousness. Now, how Jesus, Jesus was very good in his teaching of the kingdom. He always used parables. Have you noticed that? When Jesus teaches about the kingdom, he speaks in parables. A parable a parable is simply a story from the natural that carries spiritual implication and spiritual truth. Jesus was an expert at it. And the beauty of a parable is that the listener could hear it on whatever, of, whatever level of spiritual understanding maturity that he was living in at that present time. So when Jesus told the parable, it was heard on many different levels. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, let me just give you a quick example. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This is how Jesus, this is, this is a parable. This is how a parable looks. A story from the natural that carries spiritual implication. I have, I've, I've asked the Father, I said, Father, help me to learn how to teach in parables. Because when you teach in parables, you're not going over the head of anybody. That person is able to pick it up where they're at. Wherever they're at on the journey, if you're really spiritually strong and mature, you're going to see a whole lot more in the parable than, you, than someone just coming into kingdom understanding. So here's an example of Jesus teaching by parable. Mark chapter 4 and verse, uh, let me pick it up in 30. Jesus said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? All right, here you go. He's going to tell you what you, how you, what you liken the kingdom of God to. Or here's how the kingdom of God functions. Here's how the kingdom of God works. Now, I'm, I'm speaking to a lot of people around the world, and some of you have a different understanding, different level of perception of what the kingdom is. So he's going to tell us what it is, and you're going to hear it where you're at. Right? Fair enough? He says, or with what parable shall we picture it? So he's, he's, he's saying, he's setting him up. I'm going to tell you a story from the natural. And as you hear it, I want you to put spiritual application on it. He said, it's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. So he's saying this kingdom of God is going to start really small. Now, when I, I say that, you get a different perception than probably the person 
that's watching from another place or doesn't have the background maybe that you do. He said, but when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Now, man, you could spend a lifetime on that little parable. There is so much in there. Birds of the air may rest under its shade. Now, that's parable. I'm not going to get into it. All I wanted to do here is to show you that Jesus often used, in, in fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a number of parables about the kingdom and the, the common denominator in every parable that Jesus tells about the kingdom is that it starts small. One we just read in Mark chapter 4, it starts like a mustard seed, which Jesus said, I don't know if it if this is true, but it's an illustration. He said it's the smallest seed that there is. But he said once it's planted, and boy, that, that there's a key there. Once it's planted, once you got it, once you hear it, once it enters into your life, it starts to grow. Your understanding and, 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 and perception begins to to evolve. Your consciousness expands on what the kingdom is. Pretty soon, the spirit of truth is beginning to speak to you about the kingdom. You're picking up your Bible, you're reading, you're finding other books that explain the kingdom. Now you're awakening, your eyes are opening up, and it's growing. And eventually, it becomes the strongest thing in your life, revelation-wise. Everything revolves around the kingdom. Everything revolves around you demonstrating the kingdom. Uh, Jesus, common denominator, always in parables of the king, it starts small, but it expands and it grows. Leaven in a lump. Jesus said the kingdom is like leaven in a lump. You take one measure of leaven and you put it in a lump. He didn't say how big the lump is. Make it as big as you want. But once that leaven, the kingdom, is in the lump, the earth, it starts to grow until, Jesus says, until the entire lump is leaven. Man, that excites me. That tells me I'm on the winning side here. That when you teach and preach and live the kingdom, you're on the winning side. That you're part of what the Father is actually doing on the planet. God's, Jesus's ultimate purpose in teaching the kingdom was to restore the glory of God in the earth, even as it is in heaven. Right? Now, I'm going to define glory for you in just a minute. Essentially, it means Manifested presence. It means total presence. But let me, let me just unwind it here. Christ's ultimate purpose is for the glory of the Father to be restored on the planet like it is in heaven. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18? Listen. <clears throat> he said, We all with an open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed, leaven in a lump, mustard seed in the ground, growing, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. That means it's totally expanding. Understanding is growing. Now, what is glory? As I said, glory, glory I, I think you could say honestly and, and fairly that it represents the totality of the presence of God. But when I look at the word glory, what I get out of it is it's the demonstration of God's greatness, his splendor, his honor his importance. The, the, the glory of God is the very essence of his being. It's really who he is. It's the likeness that was imprinted on you in Genesis uh, 
chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8, and then fully realized in Genesis 2, 7, when he blew his breath into you and you became a living, living spirit, living soul. So when Paul says that we all with an open face, that, that means there's no cover, there's no veil, there's no hindrance, there's no obstacle. We look in a mirror. A mirror reflects back what is there. And he says what is going to be reflected back is the glory of God. And as you look in that mirror and you see the glory of God, you are changed into the same greatness, the same splendor, the same honor, the same importance the same essence as the Father himself. And he said it's progressive. It goes from glory to glory. Mustard seed in the ground, leaven in the lump. It's, it, it continually expands and it grows. So here's what I'm driving home right now. He has assigned and empowered the manifesting sons, the manifesting daughters, to restore the glory in the planet and it will be restored in us, to where you will be able to stand back and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, then you have seen the manifestation of the glory of God. Now, maybe we get a little bit deeper insight into what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. He said, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory, the riches of his glory, riches of his presence, of his greatness, of, 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 of the essence of his being, the riches of that. And it's a mystery among the Gentiles, which is, watch this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what, what is going to be the gasoline that explodes out of that, that begins to grow that glory, that mustard seed, that love. It's the Christ within you. The Christ within you, as, he expands, as our, our, our level of consciousness gets greater, the glory begins to expand, right? You, my friend, are the Father's hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are the Father's hope, the very empowered people that he has set right now on the planet, on earth, for such a time as this, to fulfill the job of manifesting his glory. Jesus said it's finished, so it's done. It's going to happen. It's going to take place. Now, we're simply awakening. We're simply growing. We're simply... Amen. This is the most exciting time. I... I am more jacked than I've ever been in, in, you know, 55 years of ministry. I guess it's 55, 1969 to 2023. It's a bunch of, bunch of years, whatever it is. <clears throat> I am more excited now than, than I was, was as a kid pastor back in 1969 when I went to my first church in Mauston, Wisconsin. I see everything. It's a different world. It's a different per perception. I'm not coming with a set, set, you know, doctrine that I'm trying to instill in people. We're on this journey, man, and it's a journey of revelation. Jesus' mission, when he came to the planet, was really twofold. It's encompassed in this message of the kingdom. The scripture teaches that Jesus came for two reasons. And when he cried, it's finished, both were done. All right, the first thing that Jesus came to do, and I'm not going to take time to turn over in my Bible, but he's, it says... In 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul's revelation, Paul's insight he's, it's, it, is this, that God was in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself. He brought the entire cosmos back. There was no separation from God to the cosmos, but the cosmos, Paul said, was separated in their minds because of their behavior, because of the actions. They they knew they weren't functioning, right? And so they felt God was angry, God was upset, and that was expressed in the Old Testament. But Paul said Jesus reversed. They brought everybody, reconciled everybody. Right? Then he then he he turns around and he says, I've given to you the ministry of reconciliation. I'm, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The function of Jesus was to reconcile, number one, or two things he came, to reconcile the entire cosmos to the Father so that there would never be a question as to what our position is. Never be a question that we should feel separated. There is absolutely no separation. That's the, that is the great lie that has been passed down from generation to generation and is now being fully exposed. We're shining light on it. There is, he can't be omnipresent and have any separation. can't be omnipresent and not be everywhere in all things at one time. All right, now the second thing, let me read it for you. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start to get into some good stuff in just a minute. Just stay with me. Stay with me. I, this has been pretty good so far. <laughs> Galatians chapter 4. And uh, let me start with verse 4. One more page. Do you still lick your finger when you turn the pages in your Bible? It says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, watch, to redeem those that were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So the second thing that Jesus came, he came with a ministry of reconciliation and he came to redeem those that were under the law. Now, as Gentiles, we were never under the law. Right? As but he 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 bought he per, he bought us he purchased us with his blood he purchased brought us back reconciled i think for gentiles i like the word reconciled now if you if you have if you've put yourself under the law i want to tell you something he's redeemed you from that law um in, in romans it says that christ is the end of the law all law church laws denominational laws laws made up for generate, he, he's the end of it. He redeemed us out of that mess. Reconciliation and redemption. Now, once you get that fixed in your mind, once you get that fixed in your mind, right, the second purpose that he had was to instill the kingdom within us that we could carry it out. Now, watch what it says. I, I read uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Listen, and verse 20 says, and he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. So our, our ministry, our job is to take this message of peace and joy as our righteousness is established within us. We know our identity, know our sons, we know where there's no separation, we know we're in union, all those things. And what flows, what flows from us is peace and joy. So where there is um, darkness, where there is uh, slavery, where there is law. We come into that and we teach people, wait a minute, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. He has redeemed you. You have been accepted into full sonship. He has totally reconciled you. And it says in that 19th uh, verse of 2 Corinthians 5 that he reconciled us 
not counting our trespasses against us. Sin's a moot point. Forget about sin. From God's perspective, there is no sin. Now, (laughs) you rob a bank, you're going to prison. You smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, you're getting lung cancer. That's not God's doing. That is your doing. Does that change his relationship to you? Absolutely not. You're still reconciled. You're still a son. Your position is set. It was set from before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 says very plainly that he has placed us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He tells Timothy that the grace that saved us, not according to our works, was given to us in Christ before time began. So we're reversing everything that first Adam has instilled through generations of lie and deception. The church has picked up on it. Religion has picked up on it. Made us feel the same separation that Adam felt when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as long as we're eating from that tree, we're going to feel the same thing that Adam felt. First Adam, all right, now listen to it. We're going to start getting good. First Adam lost the glory, the presence, the essence of the Father, a sense of the essence, a sense of no separation, the greatness, the splendor. Last Adam restored it, brought it back to the planet. And at the resurrection, we walked out of the tomb with him as new creations. Species of being that never existed before. Don't put your, don't tie yourself to first Adam. Religion is still tied to first Adam. That's why they cannot extend the kingdom. There's no righteousness, no sense of who they are. There's no sense of identity. There's no sense of union. They're still relating to to first Adam. Jesus is called very specifically in Scripture. I've heard Jesus called the second Adam. He's not the second Adam. He is the last Adam. If there was a second Adam, then there would be a third Adam, a fourth Adam, a fifth Adam, and your number would be in there someplace. But when Jesus was was designated by the Father as the last Adam, that means no Adams followed. If you're the last one in a line, there's nobody behind you. If you're the last one to be served at a restaurant before closing, nobody gets food after you. He's not second Adam. There's no, listen, this is so important that you get down because you're never going to, see the righteousness, the peace and joy of the kingdom will never be established in the life of a person if there's any connection in their thinking, in their minds to first Adam. There's no more humans in the lineage of first Adam. Do you get it? You heard it here at the Digital Cathedral. There's absolutely no human born in the lineage of Adam. That is a lie and a deception. And if you have Religion Busters, you have my book called Religion Busters. I think that second chapter is devoted entirely to exposing this thing of an Adamic nature. Original sin. There was an original sinner, but there's no such thing as original sin that was instilled into all people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. If I'm using too much scripture this morning, forgive me, but I I just want you to know that I'm being legal with this and that I do have scripture to help you to see what I'm saying. And sometimes, you know, we're still at a place where if we see it in the Bible, 
then we believe it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 says this, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Where does the spirit of life that you have come from? It comes from last Adam. Last Adam totally undid, untied, unbound, unwound everything that first Adam jacked up, messed up. That's got to be firmly fixed in your thinking. Because if it's not the joy and the peace, the extension of the kingdom that the Father came to demonstrate and establish in the Son will not come through your life. And you're going to continue to feel unfold. You are wired to extend the kingdom. See, it's, 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 it's noteworthy. All right, now here we're going to get into some stuff. This, I like this. This, puts, this lights my fire. It's noteworthy that when Jesus pronounced the priority of the kingdom, there was no church on the planet. You ever, ever think about that? See, we've made the kingdom and the church synonymous. They're not. He not only proclaimed it, he lived it, he established it, and he emerged the kingdom of heaven to earth. He didn't establish a church, didn't establish Christianity. It's taken 2,000 years. God help us. 2,000 years for us to come to the conclusion that this is the priority mission of every Christ follower, the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right standing, sonship, union, everything that I went through, and his righteousness. And all these other things are going to be added to you. He didn't say, Seek first to evangelize the world. He didn't say, Seek first to hand out tracts everywhere you go. He didn't say, seek first to be in church every Sunday morning. Didn't say, seek first to use every envelope in your tithe box. He said, seek first the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God within you. And as you seek it, the righteousness, peace, and joy begin to emanate. Right? You begin to understand who you are. A, a real understanding of the kingdom will help you to understand who you are. Now I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to center on that in just a minute. I'm still on this I'm 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 still on uh, this thing that the Father is establishing. Now I'm going to talk about the church and the kingdom in just a minute. I'm I'm really going to set on it because I want to eradicate that thought that the church equals kingdom. I want to I want to eradicate that out of your mind. Or religion. Religion and the kingdom are the same thing. They're not. Even the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to agree and acknowledge was the merging of heaven and earth. It is to be here as it is there. The two dimensions are to become one. And that space is, be, is getting smaller and smaller and smaller today. I don't know if you notice it, but the veil is getting thinner and thinner and thinner. We're talking about things today like manifesting sons of God. We're talking about immortality. We're talking about a lot of things that we have looked at as only being present in heaven or the kingdom of God off yonder somewhere. And, and it's now coming together. Heaven is invading earth. The two dimensions are merging. And as they merge, you're going to begin to do things, see things, say things, and, and go and do things that you never envisioned it was even possible for you to do. 
The dual mission of the Father through the Son has been greatly misunderstood. Paul got it. Let me say it again. Paul got it. 2 Corinthians 5.19, the mission of Jesus was to allow the Father in him to reconcile or to bring the, 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 the entire world back to the Father in him. He was in Christ. He, he wasn't uh, turning his head from Christ. He wasn't, as penal substitution talks about, he wasn't beating the bejabbers out of Jesus so he didn't have to beat you. That's called penal substitution theory of atonement. You can Google it. It's a life in the pit of hell that the church has held on. You want a real theory of atonement, it's Christus Victor. C-H-R-I-S-T-U-S, Victor, V-I-C-T-O-R. Google that. What Jesus accomplished on the cross was a total victory over graves, over the grave, over sin, over evil forces. He was in Christ reconciling the world. And then in verse 20, he says, here's the message for you. Here's the mission you have. That is the word of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. This fully does away. When you, when you tell people that they are reconciled, see, people have not heard that. People have not entered into that dimension of life. When you tell them that they're reconciled, it's hard for them to grasp because all they've heard all their life is separate, separate, separate. What that does is it, it, it totally kryptonites the idea of separation. I don't think you'll find one verse in Scripture. I don't think you'll find one verse in the Gospels or in the writings of Paul that would say that God has separated himself from any person. He certainly, you know, probably the, the biggest desperado, the bad boy of, of uh, post-resurrection was Paul. What's, what, is, what does Jesus do? He shows up and knocks Paul to the ground and reveals himself in such a way that Paul could not deny it. That's what's going to happen. It may, it may take thousands of years, but the, fa the Father is going to reveal the Son to every person that has ever existed on the planet in a way that they will recognize and not be able to not deny it because he has reconciled them, not counting their trespasses against them. So it remains the responsibility of the Father to draw them to himself, to prove the reconciliation. See, if he did separate, if a father ever separated himself from anybody, we couldn't say he was omnipresent. We'd have to say there are places and spaces he does not, he's, does not fill. There are places that, he's, that he is not. See, the church has created in the minds of people a problem of separation. Then they created a solution called the sinner's prayer to solve the problem of separation. And that's what pre prepares you to go out yonder to heaven somewhere. No mention of the kingdom. No mention that heaven has invaded earth. See, there's, a, there's an old sales formula that says problem plus solution equals sale. Here's how church gathers converts. They present a problem. You're separated from God. You're sinful. You were born sinful. If you don't do something about it, you're going to hell. Now, here's the solution. You got to pray this prayer, ask Jesus into your life, get water baptized, come to discipleship class, get your box of tithe envelopes, be here every time the church doors are open, and you will go to heaven. We've just solved your problem. But it totally ignores the mandate to have dominion and to subdue the earth as, a, as, as leaven in a lump. All right, so here's what's happened. 
I was part of the system, so I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I was part of the system. The church created first a fictitious problem of separation. And then it gave us a fictitious solution, which is to pray the prayer to solve a non-existent problem. Do you see, see what's happened? <clears throat> so people inside religion look at all of those out there, them, all them out there that are still separated, hadn't prayed to prayer. Man, they got problems. They're separated from God. They're headed for hell. When there's scripture after scripture that says that the Father through the Son declared, it's finished. That you are, you, you are the benefactors of a covenant that was made between God and God that cannot be broken, that has sealed your eternal future. And there's nothing you can do to break it. You say, well, I don't want it. I don't want Too late. You're already in. He's already made provision for you. Now, believing is important. He is the Savior of all, Paul said, especially those that believe. There's great benefit in believing. Man, I'm living a life today that few people could dream of, and so are most of you, because you're a believer and you're walking it out and you understand the things that God is doing. So here's the thing. The church as we know it, the, 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 the organization, the religious structure, the building, is not the kingdom. And the message of the church today is not the message of the kingdom. I just told you what the message of the church is. The message of religion is you're a mess, you're undone, you're separated. Unless you do something about it yourself, get yourself saved by praying the prayer, which really is you saving you when you get down to it. Because without, without you, you, his work is totally futile. How sad. Watch this. Religion has never made a distinction between the kingdom and church, as we know it, church. I'm talking about the structure. But Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he says in verse 19, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. All right. Now let's look at this because I'm sure most of you never thought about this. Building the church is his job, right? That's what he's supposed to do. The keys of the kingdom is what he's entrusted to us. The expansion of the kingdom, the distinction between church and kingdom, he's, he's made very plain. It's his job, his responsibility, his mission to build the people, the church. Right? Our job is to let the people know you got the, you got the keys to the kingdom. And you need to operate in the kingdom. Jesus takes full responsibility for the church and gives full responsibility to the disciples for the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God. So what, what's the message of the kingdom? Right? I, I read it to you. Let me expand it a little bit more. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. Let me add a couple of verses to the righteousness, peace, and joy. 
Romans chapter 14. Man, this is good stuff. See, most people, most people when they think of the kingdom, and most pastors think that their church is the kingdom. It is not. Jesus makes it very clear in that 16th chapter of Matthew that there is a definite distinction and a dividing of responsibility. He takes responsibility for the ecclesia, for the church. And he says to the disciples very clearly, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. So he says, the planet, <clears throat> the planet belongs to you. I got the people. I got the people. I'll build the people. I'll, I'll draw them. I'll, I'll enlighten them. I'll give them revelation. But your job is to take the keys. I, I need to do a series on keys. What are the keys? To go out and unlock every person that's locked up. That's, that's the main function of a key. Go out and unlock. <clears throat> he said he'd build his church. Gates of hell would not prevail against it. So he's into building people that are strong, that are staunch, that know what, who they are. Glory to glory, right? Reflect the glory of the Father. But he said, I want you guys to teach people how to carry the kingdom out, how to demonstrate it, how, how to exemplify it, how to talk it, how to show it, how to live it. That's your job. Now watch. Here's, here's it is. Romans chapter 14. I read you verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Eating and drinking means uh, natural. <clears throat> but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves God in these things. This is our key, guys, to reaching people. For he who serves Christ in these things, righteousness, peace, and joy, is acceptable to God and approved by men. In other words, God says, that's, that's my son right there in whom I'm well pleased. What, what made the father so well pleased with the son is that his bringing of the kingdom into the earth, the, 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 the merging of two dimensions. In one man, in one man, two dimensions were manifest. Jesus walked on terra firma, but he knew how to function in the kingdom of God, which is a supernatural kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy you don't see. It's not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify one another. <clears throat> There's no greater edifying force I know of than peace and joy. I'm built up. I'm around people with full of peace and joy. I tell you what, it makes my day. It builds me up. We breathe in his righteousness. We breathe in right standing. We breathe in union, his might, his power, his strength as ours. And then we exhale it into our world. And as we exhale what we've inhaled, it comes out as peace and joy. We're not shook up by the stock market. We're not shook up by who, who's in political office. See, you can get so wound up in those things that you totally forget the kingdom. So effective were those keys as they exercised them that they turned the world upside down. Can you imagine? Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. It didn't take long either. It did not take long. It was not a church in Ephesus that did this. It was... The disciples, the early believers going out and manifesting the kingdom. <clears throat> 17, Acts 17, 6. He said, when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren 
to the rulers of the city, crying, Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. How'd they turn the world upside down? Build, build a bigger building? No. Get a systematic theology that looked perfect? No. Argue down everybody that didn't see it like they did and strong arm them to believe like that? No. They were demonstrating righteousness, peace, and joy. They were walking <clears throat> in the glory of God. See, why, why isn't that happening today? Why, why, I'll give you a very simple reason. I submit to you that doctrines and traditions and religion, churchianity, has replaced the righteousness, peace, and joy. Some of the most sour people, some of the most distraught, depressed people are, are followers of Christ. Jesus said, you, by your traditions, you have made of no effect the Word of God. God can speak to you and speak to you. And I'm not just talking about the book. I'm talking about God can speak to you. And what he speaks to you is going to be neutralized by doctrines, traditions, religion, right? We, we've tried to build the church. We've tried to build the church. We thought that to if we built the church, it would be the kingdom. And what we've asked the Father to do is something on the planet that he's assigned us to do, which is to expand the kingdom. Building structures, building ministries, I don't care how good the ministry is, is not in itself building and extending the kingdom. The kingdom grows organically from person to person. That's why you have. That's why I'm here at the Digital Cathedral. That's why I got out of the building. I could still be in a building. I could go rent a building tomorrow and probably draw somewhat of a crowd. But that would not be doing what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm passing to you the kingdom. Not in a structure. Not in a, a set theology. I don't have a systematic theology anymore. I do have beliefs. I do have a strong opinion on things, but you know what? It's fluid. It changes. What I believe five years ago, I've honed. And what I believe today, five years from now, will not exactly be the same. The kingdom is salt and light. The kingdom is leaven in a lump. Religion, instead of going into the world, leaven goes into the lump. See, the mustard seed goes into the earth. Now, what religion has done is it separated itself from the world, from the earth, and called itself the kingdom. If you want to be in the kingdom, then you need to get into the church. But it separates itself. And over here, from a separated from the world position, it puts pressure on, the, on, on its members to go win the world. We come with a message of be separate and come out from among them. Go into the world. You need to evangelize. You need, it's got to be one or the other. Religion has become so ineffective, and it has sought to seek, not to seek first the kingdom of God. It does, not, it does not teach others the keys to the kingdom, so its failure is, is caught up with it now. Just like it did in 70 AD. I've got to land this bus. I've gone far enough. What we're seeing today is the demise of religion as it was in 70 AD because it has, it has not functioned in, in, its, in its role. It's, it's obsolete. It's being done away with. And here's what you're going to see. As kingdom awareness arises, 
religion is going to diminish until eventually you're going to see another 70 AD and you're going to see religion become totally ineffective, have absolutely no impact on culture. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be destroyed in a day like the temple was, but it will be destroyed in its influence and its outreach. People are leaving church in droves because they're not scratching where people are itching. People have a spiritual hunger right now. God's at work in the planet, and he's, call, he's called you out in an early phase of this. You're a first wave, first fruits. And he's saying, look, I want you to understand your righteousness, your position, your standing, your union with me. There's no separation. And I want you to take that. And as you understand that, what's going to be released out of your life is peace and joy. And when people who are distraught, upset, as culture gets darker, your peace and joy will become the light of the world. You will be the leaven in the lump. You will be the mustard seed that has been placed into the earth. So as you, here's, and I'm done. As you embrace kingdom principles, you're going to become an effective God carrier in the earth. He's bet the ranch on you. He really has. The most discouraged believer, the most discouraged leader is going to be encouraged by an impartation of peace and joy. Fruit of the Spirit, peace and joy. So as this moves from person to person, just like leaven in a lump, it's going, to, it's, <laughs> it's going to gain traction, you guys. And at some point, it's going to reach a tipping point, and our world is going to change. And what started as a mustard seed is going to become the biggest and the strongest, most dominant plant in the entire earth. Mark my words, it will happen. All right. God bless you. We got to stop right there. <clears throat> Powerful message today. I've really enjoyed it. This is, this is my bread and butter here. This is my wheelhouse. I love this kind of stuff. God bless you. See you Wednesday night, Secret Place, back next Sunday morning. We're going to keep pushing the envelope as God continues to develop us and grow us as manifesting sons and daughters until we reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God bless. Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder. Our digital cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth, and for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.